Welcome to episode five of Community is a Verb. Our show talks about the tools for social action. We're talking about social media, systems, processes, and strategies, and what we're doing to create the world that we want to see. My name is Connor Kaysen, your co-host here at Community is a Verb. And next to me, via the powers of the internet, is my marvelous co-host, Mr. Well-Traveled. Mr. Well-Traveled, how are you doing? Happy Halloween. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm doing well. And I always like how you introduce me. That's always the, my favorite part of the show. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, doing well. How about you? I am very good considering the circumstances of the world. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to be on the show here on Saturday morning with you. I know you've been as busy as ever uh, being yeah. in Texas. And so let, let's start the show with uh, our catch-up and our check-in. What's been going on with you? What have you been up to? Uh, you, you're juggling a lot of different balls right now. And so what's yeah. been going on in your life? Yeah, well, you know, I've been in Texas now. I guess it's been about three weeks and I'm happy to be home, happy to be with family and uh, happy that life can continue where whether I'm in Seattle or I'm in the Houston area. So uh, I really appreciate uh, technology right now for that. Um, yeah, so there's work. I still work from home just like I was uh, before. Uh, we have this podcast, of course, which we record. We took a week off uh, but you know we're back on schedule now. And then the next up, City Guide for Voter app has officially launched. We've gotten that out to the world. Yes, I'm excited to talk more about that a little bit later. And uh, what else is going on? Gosh, um, I'm trying to think. I feel like I'm missing something. <laughs> There's so many things. Oh, my Portuguese lessons. I still do those twice a week. Yeah, I haven't forgotten about those. So you're doing Portuguese twice a week? So, so how did the Portuguese lesson virtually go? Like, are you meeting with someone that lives in Brazil? No. Uh, my professor actually is in Everett, Washington. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I've never met him in person before because we've always used Zoom for the lessons, even prior to the pandemic. I've been working with him now for a couple of years and uh, we, I would say most of 2019, we didn't have any lessons, but uh, when the pandemic started, I realized I didn't have any more commute time in the afternoon. So I just decided, hey, this is a great way to fill that, that time. And yeah, we continue to use Zoom and it's been going really well. I feel like I've advanced a lot where at the very beginning, I was super nervous and I've made a lot of mistakes. I still make mistakes to be fair, but now I'm moving into more advanced grammar, like subjunctive. Like if you know anything about grammar, subjunctive is really hard and uh, Portuguese subjunctive is pretty challenging. And yeah, I, I feel really good about it. We talk about a variety of topics and that's also really nice. Um, we pull in news, we have cultural topics and we have little, little debates because sometimes we don't see eye to eye on things. And so that's really helpful in advancing my language skills. And um, it's been great because as you know, uh, the graphic behind me was designed by a Brazilian uh, design team and they only speak Portuguese. And so I was able to conduct the meetings in Portuguese. We talked about that, I think a little bit last time. Yeah. And, and so to give the audience a little bit of background, because Mr. Well-Traveled, right, you're, you know a lot of language, or at least you've practiced a lot of different languages, mm -hmm. traveled all around the world. So, so why Port Portuguese, and why are you focusing on that right now? Oh, this question is always so hard, because it actually, um, you know, 
it, it goes back several years. So I've been studying Portuguese off and on for, I don't know, maybe nine, 10 years, something like that. And when I first started studying it, I was actually in Peru and I was in Peru teaching English and improving my Spanish uh, language skills. Uh, at the time I started learning Portuguese from a Peruvian um, teacher who had been married to a Brazilian and she was living in Sao Paulo. At, at, during that time she was married and then she'd moved back to Peru. So that's where I started. And the idea I think was that after I left Peru, I'd go to Brazil and I had kind of this um, potential job opportunity with a, a European company where I was doing some freelance writing for them. And uh, I thought this would be great prep because I wasn't familiar with the language prior to that. It was really hard to keep it, you know, distinct from Spanish at that time. And when I returned to the US, uh, I, you know, the job didn't work out. And when I returned to the US, I actually continued at, a, at the Brazilian Arts Foundation, uh, which is a cultural um, uh, nonprofit located in Houston. So I continued with my lessons there. And then when I uh, went to Seattle, I actually um, continued, not right away, because I started with French when I was in Seattle. <laughs> and then I uh, stopped taking French lessons. And then I switched over to continuing with Portuguese. And I found this professor through uh, one of the local universities, and we've just been working together ever since. And he's really great, actually. He he is also multilingual, and uh, he really understands the challenges of knowing Spanish and French and trying to, and he can catch me when I'm drifting into another language. So that's that's really helpful. But you know, the continuation of learning a language, I think is actually now more about the fact that I, something that I started a long time ago, maintaining a language is a lot of work. It's very easy to lose your language skills. It's also very expensive to learn a language. You have classes and books and tutoring and travel and for immersion purposes. And so all of these things cost a lot and they take a lot of time to build. But if you don't focus on them, you actually are not able to um, maintain them long term. And so i I haven't done a, as good of a job with French and Spanish. I've, over the last couple of years, I've invested a lot more in Portuguese. Um, I've been to Brazil a couple of times. I went to Portugal as well in the last uh, few years. And I think for me to continue this language uh, or continue learning this language, I'm able to really make a connection with people in Brazil and, and people who are in the diaspora. That's been perhaps the most powerful thing for me. Um, the fact that I can work with a design team that also has the same um, history, right? In a different country, but the same history as me. Um, we were able to really have a, a great connection in that way. And they were, they totally understood what, what I was trying to accomplish when I told them I was making an app that would show wait time to voters. They, they, they understood that. And in fact, they even want to step further and, and recommending to me things that I could come use to learn more about the topic because they then became very interested in understanding how is this really impacting African Americans. And so there's been a great cultural exchange, but also a great a great way of connecting across the diaspora. And, and because the majority of uh, Brazilians are actually Afro-Brazilians, um, there is a, there's a unique uh, way that I'm able to connect with them when I'm in person and ex have a different experience than I, the ordinary visitor. Yeah, I, I think from the first time I met you, I thought it was so cool that you have uh, a passion, but not only just like the passion to learn these things, you've actually like gone above and beyond to 
immerse yourself in these places, right? Just traveling all over the world and uh, taking that dive because language has never really made a lot of sense to me. It's, it's not the way my brain works. I've spent like five years of school learning Spanish and uh, I lived in Spain for a summer and it was, it was a train wreck. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I just think that's so cool. And that just adds so much to who you are and the fact that you've like brought that culture into your work as well is so unique and not enough people uh, do that or, or pursue that. And so uh, I'm glad that you're able to share here a little bit with the audience just about who you are, kind of a little bit on the, the back end. It's super fun. So let's jump into yeah, the, the topics of what we wanted this show to be. And so when we started the show, we were both here in Seattle, right? And we were both very much focused on what was happening here in Seattle uh, within our communities. Uh, but since the now three weeks, you have been moved at least temporarily to your hometown in Houston. And what's been going on there? So we want to talk about the election, right? Everyone knows Tuesday's coming up, the election's coming yeah. up. You're obviously working directly on that. And we are seeing kind of this tidal wave of votes happening here in America. So mm -hmm. uh, let's start off with you and just kind of like, what are you seeing and, and how's it been switching going from Washington to Texas in, in this crazy month? Yeah, you know, I get a lot of questions about that. Uh, and, and I think it's because of the fact that right now, Texas is in the news globally. So it, the funny thing is, right, so I, I, I was in Seattle, well, actually I was in Houston when uh, the COVID pandemic, I, I don't like to say it really started in the US at this point, but with the day of the first death was the day that I was flying back from Houston to Seattle. And I knew at that point that things were going to change and they were going to be different. I just didn't understand how um, significant that was in that moment and how quickly everything would change. And from the moment I got back, it was all Seattle all the time, all over the world. So I was getting lots of questions about what's happening with Seattle um, and, and the pandemic. And then over the summer, uh, we had a lot of uh, protests, right, and demonstrations. And those then also made international news. And so I was getting questions about that. And of course, being in Capitol Hill, that became the story uh, for everyone, um, especially around uh, the Chaz Chop Zone. Then I come here at the same time that um, the Texas governor is, you know, passing these executive orders that uh, are very obviously a voter suppression tactics. And then that makes national and international news. And that has been nonstop since I've been here in the last several weeks. And so, um, you know, whenever I talk to people who are not here, the first thing they ask me about is what's going on in Texas? <laughs> so I have to stay on top of the news because I don't know what other people are seeing, right? They're, 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 the only information they have is what they see on the national news stations. Uh, so I will say visibly, I have not observed anything that is too out of the ordinary. I'll say that much. Um, what I have also seen on the news, local and national, is that here during early voting, there has been record turnout. There have been super long lines. And the other thing that I, I will say that is interesting here is that there, at least in Harris County, which is where Houston is located, um, 
there are a variety of ways to vote, ways that I didn't know existed before, and I'm not sure if they did exist before the pandemic. And so I've, I've been pretty impressed with the, the ways in which uh, the Harris County uh, County Clerk has really tried to ensure a variety of, of, of options for people uh, to vote. So let me tell you a little bit about Harris County, if you don't mind. Go, is that okay? Okay, so Harris County is the third largest county in the country. So this is pretty significant, right? Um, they, there's a population of about 4.1 million. And as of the last election, so 2016, there were approximately 2.3 registered voters, uh, sorry, 2.3 million registered voters in the county. So I believe that number probably is much higher this time around, um, maybe between 2.5 and 3 million. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't been able to find that number uh, published anywhere. But what we have seen since the election has uh, the early voting has started is, you know, people are coming out uh, in droves. There are a lot of new voters in the county and um, in Texas in total, there have been 9 million ballots cast, according to an NPR article I saw yesterday, 9 million. Um, Texas is the second most populous state, right? So that's a lot of people. Now in Harris County specifically, 1.4 million votes. So that's already, they, we've approached and, and actually surpassed the number of votes it, during all of 2016. So that is, that's fascinating, right? Yes. And, and so with that, like, we, we we're having these record turn. Like, A, it's just mind-blowing. It's very exciting yeah. that more people voted in October 2020 than the entire election in 2016, right? That mm -hmm. is uh, tremendous. And what, what I'm chalking up is, like, a beautiful, amazing thing, right? We haven't seen voter turnout like this. We haven't seen uh, it get so activated really since the 60s when they changed the law from 21 to 18, right? And there was this whole youthful movement who gained the right to vote. Um, and it kind of like, uh, that has been the last 60 years, right? Because all of those people have been the primary voting segment from when they uh, changed the voting age. And now they are still one of the biggest voting groups. But finally, mm -hmm. we are seeing a lot of young people, right? And just so people from all walks of life activating and seeing how important this finally is. And so my question for you, Mr. Will Travel, in watching this, especially where you are in Houston, like what do you think this means, right? Why are so many people, I mean, we know why people are turning out. It's a big deal. Um, but the change from four years ago to this year, like what do you think that means? And do you also think that this is sustainable in four years. Are is this going to be the norm? Are we going to get? They're talking about ninety percent voter turnout when we got fifty percent four years ago. Like, is it just the circumstance because of who we're voting for and what's happened in the last four years, or do you think our generation is going to continue this momentum and and voting is going to be like not not a mandatory thing, but something that people feel like they need to be doing. You know, that's a good question. I mean, I think thinking about the future right now is a really good way to 
look at this election, right? Uh, there are so many people, more, so many more people engaged from people who were registered voters who didn't vote last time to people who are first time voters because they've, uh, they've just registered for the first time or they've just turned 18. Um, you know, I've listened to a lot of podcasts on this subject and read, read a lot of articles because there's so many different constituencies trying to make their voice heard through this election process. And they feel very passionate because they've been impacted in some form or another and they want change. That being said, that is a very hard thing to sustain, right? Because change takes time, doesn't, especially when we're talking about policy change and legislative change and including, you know, the change in politicians, right? So um, we vote for president every four years, but we have other office holders, whether it's at the local level, state level, or the federal level, where we are voting for them a little bit more frequently. So are people going to be able to sustain that enthusiasm and passion if there's disappointment on Tuesday, right, November 3rd, if there's disappointment on that day? Are they going to be able to sustain their enthusiasm and passion if they are a year into this and they haven't, they've, they've, they've gotten the person. Uh-oh, we lost you there for a second. Hopefully we get you back. I will have to cut this out. Or if you're listening to this, we apologize. Hey. Oh, we lost okay. you for a second. All right, you're back. I see that. Okay. What was, so uh, the last thing I was saying was that, um, you know, will people be able to sustain their passion and enthusiasm when the person that they voted for to make changes uh, gets into office, but then they don't make those changes immediately, or they don't make those changes ever. So I think there are a lot of questions around if. I think, but even before we get that far about if people can sustain their passion and energy, even within just the next week to a few months here, we have to deal with something in this election that is also very different than previous elections. Um, we're learning a lot more about how ballots are counted and whose ballots actually get counted and when. So we, I think, are in for a, another chapter here. Um, I was thinking about this more like a TV show, right? So when you have a TV show these days, you have something called the mid-season finale. So it's that, that pinnacle of the show, and you have everything in the first half running up to that, but then there's still more show after that. We haven't gotten to the finale. The finale in this particular case is probably not going to take place until January 20th, right? So I think we've got a little bit more to go to understand who's actually going to win. And, um, and that's not just at the, for the presidency, right? We've got more mail-in ballots than we've ever had. And there are very different rules in different uh, states about how mail-in ballots are counted. Um, absentee ballots are also counted differently in every state. And I think we're going to see some challenges around those things. And so um, can people sustain their energy and passion if, they're, if they find out that their ballot wasn't counted? That's going to be a question because right now we have a lot of trust and faith that the system is going to work uh, for everyone as it is um, said to be designed. I, I think we have to see. And when you are in that moment and you're very optimistic and hopeful, you 
have the ability to disconnect a little bit from the circumstances and say, it's going to work out. And I think we all want that to be the case, but um, history has shown us that there's a different way that this thing can go. Yeah, certainly. And, and when it comes to the mail-in ballots thing, it's so different. Governments right now operating during the pandemic are on such like different resources and different structure, right? A lot of these people like aren't even in person like they would have been four years ago. And so I know there was a ratings that came out and they were like rating the different mail-in and absentee ballot systems in all the states. And I saw it and I felt really good that Washington and Oregon were both A, but we've been doing this for over a decade. So that makes a lot of sense that we kind of got that system honed in where then like Alabama got an F, right? And so I don't know, it, it, it feels weird. as like, yeah, it's out of our control. I feel good, right? And maybe I get lulled into feeling good about how it's going to go here. It's just been normal. And like we talked about in a previous episode, like I've never even voted in person, um, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like the normal to get the ballot and, and mail it in. Um, and then there's been so much communication about whether you're dropping your ballot in a blue mailbox by the USPS, or did you like take it to an official ballot drop box? Uh, but I am encouraged to see there's been so much information about like, you hit the cutoff line, like don't put it in a blue box after what that was like on Thursday, um, or sometime earlier this week. And now you gotta like, you have to take it to that ba- ballot drop box. And uh, where was it going? I, I lost myself in my, my own train of thought. But uh, earlier we were talking about young people mobilizing to get on the boat and you and i both listened to a podcast a local podcast by KUOW here in washington and it was all about uh the youth showing up and politics Mm -hmm. being a big deal right now which to me is very exciting politics is it feels unavoidable right it's never been in our face this much and and that's part because uh trump is you know, owns the media, right? Everything he has ever put out has been, there's, there's never been a dissection or coverage like this before, but now with social media being so mature, so much content, like I'm watching TikToks and people would be like doing some silly dance and yeah, at the end and they're like, um, hey, don't forget to vote, right? So you're seeing it everywhere, it's unavoidable. Um, and so what do, you, what do you think about that? And do you think it's interesting or, or cool or inspiring that all of these kids are also just as inspired to get out and vote? And do you think that's making a difference right now? Uh, Yes. Oh, I absolutely think it's making a difference. I mean, I've never seen ever this much encouragement to go vote. So it's make, to me, it it looks like voting is cool. The way that it's being presented to people, it's, it's not just, you you know, your, your, your parents or your grandparents telling you how important it is. And it's, it's people who are your peers, people you look up to on social media and social media is powerful on both ends. Right. So there's a lot of misinformation that comes through social media. And we saw that very clearly in the last election, but this time around, I think the counter to that has been engagement, level engagement even if it's subtle right so you watch that you mentioned the TikTok video I've seen lots of videos on Instagram like that I've seen YouTube videos like there where people will start off the video saying hey by the way I think you should go vote and then start talking to you about something that is totally frivolous like some reality show but 
that is just the kind of marketing that voting needs, right? So you need constant repetition to get people to buy into this concept. And it's everywhere. It, it's There's nowhere you can go where someone's not talking about voting. So I do hope that that influences people. And I think that, uh, you know, like that podcast, uh, the KUOW podcast I talked about, uh, it, it seems to be working. It seems to be that young people are feeling inspired. They want to make their voices heard. They believe in the power of voting. And I, I like it. I, I hope that what we can also do is sustain that enthusiasm, right? Because voting is a moment in time. But the work that goes before the next election is something that's going to take days, weeks, and years. So how do we continue to engage these young voters who are going to be uh, folks that we need to come to the polls the next go round? Where, where do we keep them motivated? How do we make sure that voting isn't just a trend for 2020? Yeah, exactly. And, and the outcome, you made this point earlier, the outcome is going to determine that a lot, right? Are people going to get dejected if, they, if the results don't go their way? Or even if the results do go their way, what if that momentum doesn't sustain? What if uh, we, we all know what we're voting for um, mm -hmm. and, and we, all, we all can put our opinions out about the two candidates that we have and the platforms that they're running on, uh, right? And it's easy to be like, oh, I, I need to vote for this person because they stand up for all these things. But we all know in reality, like getting a lot of those things done um, is gonna be very difficult to get done. It's gonna take a lot of time to get done. And so are we gonna keep that momentum and then is that inspiration going to show up four years from now, eight years from now, uh, which I really hope it does, because I'm hoping that we all learned a very, very harsh lesson in 2016, uh, because we're seeing the numbers, right? Like the fact that so few people turned out to vote in 2016 dictated the election, right? Like mm -hmm. it, that, the results happened because not enough people showed up, uh, yeah. unfortunately. And so now... Uh, that's why I'm inspired. I, I do feel like the results are going to go one direction uh, because I anticipate that a lot of these people who are showing up voting early are voting in a very particular way. And a lot of them didn't vote in 2016. Um, or at least I hope so. So I'm, I'm, I'm praying that it's skewed that way. And, and that a lot of those early voters are uh, voting in one particular direction. And so, so Oh, go ahead. Hey, yeah. So I have a question for you, actually. Um, so I noticed in the last, I guess, 24 hours or so, Instagram has done something really interesting with hashtags. Have you noticed that hashtags are no longer available? And there's a little message that says no hashtags uh, that show the recent post as, as a way to limit misinformation. So um, I thought that was really interesting. I, I first noticed uh, anything actually because Franny the Traveler uh, posted in her story about that. Uh, so by the way, folks, go follow Franny. She's got a great, <laughs> she's got a great account, great, great travel account. I think it's very much in alignment. It's like, it's sort of social justice and travel, which I, I find to be fascinating. Uh, but she started posting about that. And so I went to look for myself and it's true. You, you can search for a hashtag, but you won't see recent posts. And I find that to be interesting because Facebook and Instagram uh, in particular, were two very problematic platforms in the last election. And so it appears to me that this is an attempt at, for Facebook to limit its involvement in spreading misinformation. So what do you, I'm curious, what do you think about that? Because it seems that there are mixed opinions out there about that. 
Yeah, I, I didn't notice that today. And it could just be something that's not on everyone's platform because rolling it out to a billion users is very, very difficult. And I bet my Instagram looks very different than yours right now, which we've seen because we've compared our screens before. Yeah. All my buttons are all over the place right now. And, uh, you know, they're doing all they can because they're getting a lot of pressure, right? There's a lot of pressure on these platforms. Um, and I know we're going to talk about the social dilemma in a future, a future episode about technology. I've kind of always been on the side where I don't actually, I don't think it's this, the, the technology companies, I don't think it's their fault. I really don't. I think a lot more blame has to go on us as humans and the users and our inability to do the research, to think critically, to not believe everything that we read on the internet, right? And actually take the time to digest enough information to find the rules and then form an opinion. Uh, the fact that Facebook changed an election, I don't think, yes, Facebook was the medium, but a hundred years ago, we passed out a newspaper, right? Um, mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with Hamilton. So like he would write papers and he affected elections too by the things that he wrote. It was no different. It, that's just a medium on how information is served, but how we take in that information and how we consume it and then uh, spread the information, that's a human problem. That's an American problem. I don't think it's as uh, as much these technologies, like these are just companies that provide a service that have positive and negatives, right? That we're kind of having to deal with terms with. But a lot of me, I, I put a lot of blame on us as individuals for um, believing things that we read on the internet without putting in the time or the research to do it. I was really glad that Twitter, Twitter got rid of, rid of retweets this week. And not only has that been a blessing for my timeline, it's been really nice, but now you have to quote tweet it and they put a notification on there uh, on Twitter to post an article, you actually have to, or to retweet the article, you have to go in to the article and like scan through the article. Um, so they're making sure people aren't just retweeting headlines. So they're doing something, uh, it's, it's almost an impossible task. I think there's so much that we're putting a lot of weight because they're an easy target and they're the person to blame. But I think we as humans deserve so much more blame for, uh, uh, you know, letting maybe saying letting our ignorance get the best of us and not um, taking the time to digest the information we need to. Yeah, you know, I think it's an interesting perspective and a very valid one because I, I, do, I think there are two sides of it, right? Because all of these systems are also created by human beings. So humans control both sides of it. We control as the individual consuming the content, but also as the creators of the platforms that have algorithms that have bias built into them that work not for your understanding. Because, you know, we talked about this a little bit last time. Uh, they don't, these platforms aren't designed for your understanding of the information that's on them. It's designed specifically to get you just to consume more of the same type of information so that you'll look at ads and the companies themselves will make money and make people like Mark Zuckerberg billionaires. And while that's, a, that's, that's the model that they have, I, you know, I, I also think they could have from this very inception uh, designed something completely different. And I think it, that matters, right? Like, what problem are you solving for when you create a platform? I, I feel like I've learned a lot about that in the process of creating Nexto. It's about who are you who are you designing for? What problem are you solving? And how do you not create a platform that's harmful? Um, you know, we can look at even traditional TV 
as also being harmful in the way that content is created, where um, you can also get those same type of headlines through on those platforms as well. And just as you mentioned, um, you know, a publication, a newspaper, a magazine, a pamphlet, all of those, that same information could be there. So the, the platform itself, to your point, I think is not exactly the problem, but it is the idea that human beings get to design platforms for the distribution, mass distribution of content. And that content could be incorrect, wrong, misleading, or downright harmful to the consumers of that content. And unfortunately, in the world that we live in, um, it is difficult to sometimes discern what is truth, what is um, false, um, or I guess really what I want to say, what is, what is fact and what is fiction, maybe is the better way to put that. And also I think in the way we have to really live our lives, we can't always take the time to go and um, do deeper research and investigation. And we do depend on other parties to serve us uh, content that is correct and is factual. But perspective also matters because, uh, and I think that's what these platforms and these algorithms actually take advantage of. If you, if your perspective leans a very particular direction, those those platforms are going to serve you that perspective over and over again. It's not these platforms are not designed to challenge your perspective in any way, and that is one thing I can say with other types of media that you can actually have your perspective challenged because there are no algorithms there. Yeah, you make a good point, right? These, these social media platforms cater to the things that you want to see or the things you engage with. Or if you're reading a newspaper, you can't avoid turning the page over and seeing a disagreement, right? And mm -hmm. so you're, you're right. These platforms do reinforce your bubble, which have lots of negative consequences, as we learned, because you don't get that exposure. And, and uh, learning new things, uh, learning that you might have been wrong um, or your... Um, what you thought before wasn't right anymore. That's an important thing that we go through as humans, right? Everyone's got to learn. We all are taught and we all learn things when we're younger and we've got to learn a lot of these things. And if you're not showing a different perspective, you can never get there. So, so yeah, you're totally right about how these platforms do reinforce our bubbles because they serve us things that we want to see. Yeah. So, um, the one, one last stat before we, we transition a little bit here was uh, related to voter turnout to kind of get back on that topic. Uh, as of yesterday, we're looking at there was 83.5 million votes cast already by October in all, 30th. In all of the U.S.? In all of the U.S. Wow, that's right. Great. So there was like just over 100 million votes, uh, or maybe it was like 120 million votes in the 2016 election. And so... That's just crazy. It said 29.5 million of those people voted in person. 54 million have voted by mail, uh, which is just uh, very different. I don't know what this, those skewed numbers were. I should have looked that up in 2016. Uh, but are there anything, before we go into the last couple of topics, is there anything you want to finalize saying about uh, voter turnout this far or things that you're seeing? Uh, you know, I'm encouraged by it, really. Um, I think it's great. I'm glad that uh, people want to participate in this process, uh, especially because, one, it's everyone's right uh, to be 
a voter is a great responsibility and I'm happy to see that people want to, uh, you know, take on that responsibility. That being said, I am looking to the future of voting. I'm interested in seeing that the experience is better. I, I like that Harris County has done some things like drive drive up voting, um, having a, a drop box location, uh, having um, in-person voting, of course that is socially distanced, but having multiple locations throughout the city and through not just Houston, I should say, but throughout the county to ensure that as many people have the ability to vote as possible. I like that the, the metro system is providing free bus rides to and from voting locations. I like that Lyft just sent me an, a message on my phone to say that if I want to go vote, I can, I can't, obviously, from where I'm, I am right now, it'd be a bit of a long ride, but if I wanted to, <laughs> they offer the opportunity. Maybe if I were in, um, I would say, like a uh, some other part of this area. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that it, it's nice to see that companies are leading in. I am excited that to see that Google and Facebook and Twitter and, uh, and, you know, other platforms are looking at their models and saying, how can we help people to be more informed? How can we help people, while limited, how can we help people to not be misinformed, right? So all of those things are encouraging to me. And I think voting, I'm excited to see more technology come into voting in the future. Um, I'm excited to see more people thinking of voting as a lifestyle, as opposed to just this thing you do every four years. And I like seeing that voting has become more than just election day. It's, it's voting season. It's voting season. Uh, yeah, that's great. And, and more than just voting every four years, right? Like voting every year on your local elections too is extremely important. And so uh, you transition perfectly into what I wanted a lot of the show to be, at, be about. And that's the <laughs> image that is behind you. Um, and the things that you're working on specifically to address uh, the changes of technology and the voting process. And so we've, we've hinted and talked a little bit about the app that you've been working on, but uh, start off by reintroducing your app that you've been building and, and launch and tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, as you know, as we've been talking about, if you're a regular listener of the podcast, um, we've been talking about this project I've been working on called Next Up City Guide Voter. We have officially launched. We are on the Apple App Store and it will be available election day for use in Harris County only. And we show all of the voting locations and their wait times. We also have a special location message feature where we can put other information that's relevant to a specific voting location. So for example, if there are any voter suppression tactics reported there, voter intimidation, or any other information like maybe there's road closures, that things that would not appear anywhere else on Google or um, any other news platform, then we can have it there for the voters who need that information before they leave the house. That is the whole goal. Provide people with information so that they can make the best decision on where to go on election day. I think that is so cool. So how did you come up with this idea? Like, because coming up with ideas is one thing, and I've, I've built a bunch of apps and experienced it. It's, it's easy to come up with an idea. 
it's extremely difficult to execute and deliver. So walk us through like, how'd you come up with the idea? And then how did you actually make the commitment to, to build this thing? Yeah, thank you for asking that question and, 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 and framing it that way, because I think that is probably the biggest lesson I've learned. It has taken a year to get to this point. And it is not because of the idea itself is difficult to execute on. It's just there's a lot to consider when you're building an app. And this is really my first time building an, an, an app for iPhone. And, you know, when I started off, it really was just an idea about a year ago. Um, I was thinking about an experience I had at work where I was a participant in a design sprint and we had a very clear customer in mind. We were looking at uh, trying to build an app for low income millennials. And the idea was that they needed a digital first solution for healthcare. And I remember as a participant in that, I thought, you know, I have a very unique perspective here and I keep challenging the thinking that's in the room. And I thought, you know, I, I, I could, I, I could put that into something myself. And one day I was kind of just sitting around and I was thinking about wait time a lot and how it seems to be a very pervasive feature of African-American life in particular. There's so much wait time built into things. And so I thought, what if I could address that? And I reached out to a friend of mine uh, who uh, I attended North Carolina A&T State University with. And we started to talk about you know, this very specific use case, the barbershop, and how barbershops have a time management issue of their own that they're trying to solve for. And they usually use the appointment system to try to solve the time management issue. But even if you show up with an appointment, sometimes you're actually going to end up waiting. And so I thought, what if I could show someone what the wait time is before they ever left the house? So then they could get some time back or they could make some different decisions about how they use their time, right? So we'll, we'll like that idea. And he's put me in touch with Demarcus Kennedy, who is a design uh, software developer out of Austin. And he and I got to talking and he said, okay, here's what we do. We, we can build this app and we can test it and we can continue to build from there. So that was uh, in November of 2019. In January, we were able to meet in person in Austin on the campus of Houston Tilliston University. That is a, an HBCU, the only one actually in Austin, and I think the only one in a major tech city. So I think that's also important to note. We were very intentional about really weaving in the African-American experience throughout this project. And uh, when we met there, we talked more about the um, barbershop version of Next Up. And then we left there, we met again a second time in February at the African American Library in Houston, Texas, and we continue to build upon that. And then in March, as you know, pandemic. And when the pandemic hit, I started to think very differently about this app. And I said, you know, as we've been building this, we've really been looking at wait time and we're looking specifically at lines, why there are lines, how lines can be better managed. And during the pandemic, of course, there are lines everywhere in places that didn't have lines before. And so I started to think about how can I now adjust our model to suit this new use case. As that was happening, the primary started to happen and I started seeing these lines everywhere. 
And the one that stood out to me the most was here in Texas. In Houston, Texas, there's an HBCU called Texas Southern University. And if you go and Google it and learn the history of the school, um, and the short story is that uh, the school was founded simply because the University of Texas, Austin, did not want to admit African-Americans. So this to me is drawing a very long through line to where we are today. And so during the primary, Texas Southern University's polling station had a seven hour reported wait time. That is ridiculous, absolutely unacceptable. And I said, you know what? I've got this app that I'm working on. It fits this use case too. And this is the one that I wanna focus on because I wanna help people right now in this election. So uh, once again, <laughs> I reached out to DeMarcus. I said, here we go. We're gonna, we're gonna flip this a little bit, but he was on board with it. He understood it. And I think that was really important too, right? Um, working with a black developer who understands the experience um, and then reaching out to creatives to help with the logo and even this artwork that you see behind me. Um, all of these folks, they come from the same experience, understand the problem and why this, this limits voter participation. And while I recognize very early on that there was no way that I could impact in this election the drivers of the wait time and the long lines, what I could do is do something that hadn't been done at this point, which was to provide visibility to the wait time itself and to whatever polling condition data that I could get my hands on and push out to the voters. So I, I realized that that's a really big task and to do it required people who just, who, who understood. And I feel like that's why it's been successful. That's why a year later we are on the app store and I'm really excited about election day. I'm really excited for you too. So before we start the show, you're like election day is your Super Bowl, right? When it comes to this app. Uh, and so talk about, because I know you were worried that you weren't even going to be able to get it on the app store before election day. Yeah. Take I want to know about that process because getting an app on specifically the Apple app store is not easy. It's time intensive. Yeah. What was that experience like? I'm sure it was scary. Uh, and, and you were nervous through that whole process, but then it, it got approved pretty quickly, right? It did. And we've actually sent an update, which also was approved very quickly. So we've been really lucky in that part because um, I knew we were cutting it close in terms of deadline. There, one thing that I have learned in the process of developing an app is that details matter. And there are a lot of little things that, you know, maybe an ordinary user of the app might not even notice, but they matter a lot um, in, in terms of the user experience. And so I wanted to make sure I covered all of those details. So that was first. And I didn't want to release something that did not work. And I didn't want to release something that didn't meet my own standards for what I would expect in an experience. So there was that. And then getting on the App Store, uh, you know, we understood that the process could take as much as two weeks to get approved. And at the point at, at which we submitted the application, we were actually just shy of two weeks. So I thought to myself, what are we going to do if we don't actually make it to Election Day? But surprisingly, um, we were able to get approved, I think it was within 24 hours of submitting the app. I mean, it was really quick, much, much faster than I had anticipated. Uh, but, you know, the process leading up to that, 
was new for both of us, right? So DeMarcus had, had never submitted an app to the app store before and uh, neither had I. And so the application itself required some research to ensure that we met all of the requirements. And there are things that are really specific such as spacing and where you, uh, what, what type of language you can use and do your photos match the actual app? And do you have photos that have screenshots for the iPad? and also screenshots for the iPhone. I mean, they're, they're very specific. And if you miss any one of these details, you get rejected. So the first go round, we made it through. The second go round, actually, we got rejected a couple of times because of our screenshots where they weren't the right size. They didn't reflect the iPad version of the app. Like, there, were, there were these things that I just thought to myself, this isn't that big of a deal, but it matters to Apple. So learning Apple's process, I think, was good, and I'm glad we got through it. Um, but yeah, I was for a while worried that you know there was just going to be something that would hold us up that we wouldn't be able to fix in time. Yep. And, and so you got it out. It's there. I know I have it on my phone, even though I'm not voting in Texas. You do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's, I was not going to download that. That's awesome. Um, I, I, <laughs> Thank you. A review, too. Anyone who's listening to this, please make sure you review your apps. But, like, the thing, how you support your friends is you got to use, use their products, right, and, and their services. So, of course, yeah, it's going to download it. And uh, anyone out there listening, please go find it there on the Apple App Store. Uh, I, I realized that there's a bunch of next up apps to next up vote and you'll find it right there at the top. Uh, putting that vote word in there helped me a ton. And my, uh, Oh, go oh, ahead. good. No, no, I was just saying good because that was one of the metadata uh, tags that we, we put in there. We have to, you, that's another thing I had to learn about was what are the right tags. And then, you know, over time trying to test to make sure I've got the right ones in there. So it's, it's a process. It's a lot. There's a, there's a process and a, and a strategy. So, my uh, other question for you, Mr. Well Traveled, is Tuesday's election day. What, what's your plan mm -hmm. on Tuesday? Yeah, so my plan, so right now, because Next Up is so new and it's, you know, it's, it's the, everything that I've put effort into in the last year, uh, my, my job right now is to focus on that and make sure that that tool is working for the voters. I've created this for the voters in Harris County on election day. I wish I could have more counties on there, but right now, the, you know, that's the scope. Um, and one, I'm going to make sure that the app is functioning properly, that wait times are updated. Um, and that is a task that is partially manual and partially uh, automated. We are definitely making sure that we are in sync with the Harris County Votes website. So we don't want to be any anywhere different than where they are. So that's one. Uh, two, I personally will actually be entering the data for the location message feature. So I will be doing something that I'd never done before, but I think will be really useful to folks trying to match up um, what's being posted on social media with uh, the voting locations. So that, that's one thing that I noticed in this whole process of trying to understand what's out there, how are people able to get the information that they need, is that there is a gap in very specific location based information. So I can generally find out online on Google or from a county website like where my voting location is. And in some of them even have wait times. But if there was something like a road closure, that wouldn't be available. Or if there was something like voter intimidation uh, reported, uh, that wouldn't be on any of those uh, other platforms. But maybe someone might post about it on Twitter or on uh, Instagram 
but right now there's not really a way to link that back without a manual search. So that's what I'll be looking for out there in the uh, location tags. And then I'll try to do a little bit of visual observation myself. Um, I'm going to go out to some of the polling locations. I want to take a few photos. I want to share them on social media because the other thing that I realize is there are 800 plus voting locations in Harris County on election day. All of them will not be on the news. Some of them will be on the news. So what can I do to help folks who are going to be receiving information through social media? How to, how to help them with a little bit more information. So I've got the Next Up uh, City uh, Instagram page set up, and I want people to go there and use it as a resource as well. It's, it's going to be a crazy day for you then. Uh, I'm sure that's going to yes. be uh, wake up early and stay up really late uh, yes. experiences. And so... A, a little bit off topic here, especially with the, they're anticipating that the election's not actually going to end on election night, right? Like we're not going to have the final yeah. results. Possibly all these early votes coming in are going to matter. And we've seen like some Supreme Court things like, like Wisconsin has to somehow count all the votes uh, that day, which seems like quite the undertaking when we're going to get record turnout. Um, like what are you anticipating for after Tuesday you know, what's going to happen on Wednesday and Thursday and moving forward. I mean, possibly not even having results until, you know, Thanksgiving. <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah. Um, you know, I've listened to some podcasts on this uh, as, as I do uh, mainly uh, the daily from the New York times. That's, that's the main one that I, that I've listened to where they've provided very different perspectives on this topic from a comparison to the 2000 election where we had a contested election. What could happen this time uh, to what could happen if um, Trump is reelected and people are outraged by that or what happens if Biden is uh, elected and people are outraged by that, what type of violence we might see. Uh, what type of violence we've been seeing so far up to this point. So I, I mean, to be honest, there are any number of scenarios that could take place. And I haven't necessarily thought about what the day after looks like or the first week. I think what I'm hoping for for my own self is that I wake up feeling hopeful still and, I, and feeling like the result matches uh, the direction that I voted in. Um, but yeah, for, from a societal standpoint, I don't know that, I mean, because it's just so um, unpredictable, really, what, what might happen. I do suspect, just because the voting rules are different in every state, that what we will see is a definite um, delay, right, from different counties around the country, as well as different states. So I don't think we know on November 4th, for example, Ex who, who, who's going to be elected president. We might know for some other races, but I don't think for that one we'll know. Yeah, in, unless it's, you know, a tremendous landslide and it starts looking real obvious, it's going to be a much different thing. I've, I've been trying to prepare mentally because there's so much hype around and expectation around election night. And it was like, all right, you need to like temper some of your expectations that you're not going to get the answer, right? And we have so many people, all this anxiety is like building up to Tuesday. And it's going to take a little bit longer. So I think it's going to be interesting. And, yeah. and uh, maybe we'll talk about this in, in a future episode. Uh, me, I mean, I was, I was a teenager for the 2000 Gore-Bush election, but, but learning about this, this year and kind of 
uh, how there are parallels and how the election came down to like two counties and 700 votes in Florida that, that drove the election. Uh, and there's some really interesting connections there, especially the two most recent Supreme Court justices were some of the lawyers yep. involved yep. with that there. Like those are two things I had no clue about. Uh, you're out there yeah. listening, go check out the story between uh, the 2000 election and who the lawyers were uh, on the Republican side for those count like unbel- unbelievable circumstances. And I pray that that doesn't happen this year and it doesn't come down to that because that is a terrifying uh, scenario and the world's much different 20 years later than it was back then. I couldn't imagine that happening now and what, what would result in that. Um, yeah. But we will see. And we're going to have another episode. We will follow up about uh, what happens and, and where we are in the next episode. I think that's a good spot to kind of start ending the show here, Mr. Well-Traveled. So what, okay. what notes do you have here for the end of our episode? Oh, Okay. Number one, if you haven't voted yet, go vote on election day. If early voting is still happening wherever you are, go vote. So that's number two. Uh, And then number three, if you are in Houston, if you are in Harris County. All right. So, uh, sorry, I need to say that again. My my, my iPad is about to (laughs) go dead because I'm at 5%. So if you are in Houston, if you are in Harris County, or if someone you love or, or know is in the Harris County area, please tell them to go and download the Next Up app. Uh, Next Up City Guide Voter app on the Apple App Store before they leave the house. It will be a tool that they can use to help them decide which is the best location for them to go. And and I I want it to help as many people as possible with this app. And the only way that I can do that is if others uh, talk about it and share that resource. So please do that. And then lastly, number four, uh, once you have voted, don't give up. Keep your optimism and stay engaged and hold the elected officials that you voted for accountable. And we'll be talking about what social action looks like now after the election, after you've voted for someone, whether they've won, how you hold them accountable, and if someone you didn't vote for won, and how we find ways to hold those folks accountable. So, uh, yeah, stay engaged. I love that. I think that's a great message because no matter which way the election goes on Tuesday, the work is not anywhere close to being done. There are a lot of things that we all need to continually take action on. You made a great point there that even if your person wins on Tuesday, you need to hold that person accountable to deliver the things that they said they're going to deliver. Um, same thing goes with your Congress people and your Senator, your city council, um, everyone in between. Very important, and I'm glad that we're here on the show to continue talking about this. Mr. Well Traveled, thank you so much for being my co-host and joining me on this Community is a Verb journey. It's great to see you and talk with you again. Yes, you as well. I enjoyed the conversation. I'm excited about Tuesday, and I can't wait to our next until our next conversation. See ya!